0: Hello, kitties. We're going to have a good time together because we are talking with Massachusetts-based band Vapors of Morphine, yes. rising from the embers of the great morphine, and then growing and expanding and doing all this other stuff. And this is, it got me thinking about an incredibly uh, interesting question. Do you know which state in this country, there's only one state that has an official state rock song? Do you know what that state is? And do you know what that song is?
1: Is it Massachusetts? Because it's your home state? No,
0: it is not. Okay. There's two where there's been a fight over it. And that's what I wanted to get into. So so Oklahoma made, Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips? And then that governor.
1: They didn't make Rodgers and Hammerstein Oklahoma.
0: I think that might be the official song, but not official state rock oh, song.
1: Oh, right. so they actually go genre. So I give Oklahoma Correct. credit for having songs of all different types. But yes.
0: So you their can't governor not have no. It's where the wind comes sweep sweeping down the plane. right? Yeah, and do you know where that was written? Not About in
1: Oklahoma, three oh, yeah, miles that's down, right, the road, down the road from you, from my
0: place. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so their official state rock song was "Do You Realize?" and then that governor finished their term a new governor came in and it was immediately like nope not happening
1: i don't realize
0: you do not realize um and then the the reason i was wondering about this is because massachusetts has been locked in a almost decade-long debate over what its official state rock song should be oh for a while roadrunner by the modern lovers was okay. you know a thousand miles an hour past mm-hmm. the stop and shop with the radio on okay and then surging from behind, mostly because two state uh, legislators are big fans. Dream on by Aerosmith. Ah, okay. Now, myself, I feel like uh, Roadrunner is a better state anthem.
1: I mean, it's Dreamon about the love of radio, right? It's
0: not really a welcome to our state. It's I'm going to go to Massachusetts, That's, and right. everything I've imagined is going to be wonderful and. Yeah, dream right. on, you know
1: Right, that's the thing It doesn't, it's an incredible song But doesn't fit for what they're going for
0: Right, whereas Roadrunner It's all about driving around late at night With your radio on Past uh-huh. the stop and shop Uh huh. And you're on the turnpike What What more could yeah, you
1: that
0: Plus it includes the line I'm in love with Massachusetts
1: Which that's hard to beat
0: Exactly um, So any guess about the official state song?
1: No, what is it?
0: It is Ohio. Uh,
1: okay. Is it the you heart of and roll? rock and roll? Nope. Because it still beaten in Cleveland?
0: No, it is Hang on Sloopy. Oh. Uh, it's been All adopted right. since as the Ohio State uh, official marching song. Um, uh-huh. But they, their, um, the bill that they passed making it the official state rock song, um, the whole where every paragraph begins with, whereas. Yes. Um, It is hysterical. Really? Whereas adoption of Hang on Sloopy as the official rock song of Ohio is in no way intended to supplant beautiful Ohio as the official state song, but would serve as a companion piece to that old chestnut. And whereas if fans of jazz, country and Western classical, Hawaiian and polka music think those styles should be recognized by the state, then by golly, they can push their own resolution just like we're doing.
1: All right, that's some forceful words there.
0: Whereas hang on, Sloopy is a of particular relevance to members of the baby boom generation who were once dismissed as a bunch of long-haired, crazy kids, but who are now old enough to vote in sufficient numbers to be taken quite seriously. <sighs> and whereas adoption of this resolution will not take too long, cost the state anything, or affect the quality of life in this state to any appreciable degree. And if we, in the legislature, just go ahead and pass the darn thing, we can get on with more important stuff. And whereas Sloopy lives in a very bad part of town, and everybody yeah tries to put my Sloopy down. <laughs> That's so there you go. Up.
1: it makes me want to move to Ohio, and I've never wanted to live in Ohio.
0: Okay. Yes. <music> I'm more familiar with morphine than vapors of morphine. Were you a fan of the band before you joined the sort of resurrected version?
2: I I didn't know the band until I moved up here in two thousand, the end of two thousand five. Mm-hmm. I had heard of them, and I think I I may have heard them on a jukebox or something like that, but I wasn't aware of them until. Um, I think when twine men were touring so this would probably be around 2001 or something um a couple years after sandman had died Mm -hmm. um uh dana um collie the sax player and billy the drummer um billy billy conway formed a band with billy's partner laurie Sargent and a, a string of bass players um called twine men um named after one of sandman's little cartoon series and um the idea being that a band was a a few people that are basically just a, a combined in a ball of twine just, just i love uh, attached to each other and tangled up <laughs> which makes um, total sense yeah so that's they went with that so they were touring for a little while very underground small places um and i heard of that somebody said oh they're playing at the circle bar or whatever in, when i was in new orleans um which is where i lived for 12 or 13 years um and um I was they were said oh this is the band that came out of morphine you know that was like and I I knew that it was a bass and a sax and drums and no guitar but I didn't realize the slide bass thing and everything and um wasn't until I moved up here when we had mutual I had mutual friends with Dana and um, um uh who um connected me with them and before I met them I Uh, acquainted myself with their music to some extent and was quite taken with it from the beginning
0: and so when you joined the band you did not play two string slide bass guitar before joining
2: no No. i don't think anybody did (laughs) yeah
0: exactly how did you take to it how long did it take you to kind of feel like all right i can kind of get that sound
2: i had played odd instruments before um a friend of mine, who I had uh, a guy who had, who had who had made fast friends with shortly after I moved to New Orleans. Um, I'm sorry, to Cambridge um, was a bass player, a a, a wash tub bass player, um, or one string bass player. Who um, ha- he he and I had a mutual friend in New Orleans who used to live up here, named guitar player named Kenny Holiday. Um, who lived up here for about 10 years and then moved down to New orleans for 10 years and uh, or more than that rather to live down there and i had met him down there played on the street with him and this guy Wash um Washtub Robbie Phillips um, was a builder was a builder he's a, he's he's um in a nursing home now but he had um we were um, playing a lot of my music and he often played a one string um sort of like a washtub bass but more with a like a a fixed neck on a, on a uh, big bongo drum, sort of thing, uh, conga drum, I should say. Um, and um, he started messing around with diddly bows, uh, the, the sort of um, one string or two string slide things, um, you know, that uh, homemade guitars, basically, fretless mm-hmm. guitars. And I had played around with some of those like a four-string thing. I I had played an open tuning and I had played a lot of slide guitar. Um, So when I um, first started picking up the slide bass, I realized that there was um, a certain way that Mark usually tuned the bass, which was exactly like the low two-strings of one of the tunings I was used to using on guitar. So. I felt like, in some ways, um, the bass was the easiest part of, of learning that music um, because I already played slide, and the way, you know, I got I got to 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 check out and play Mark's instruments, oh, wow. and saw how he set them up, and um, it's really very um, forgiving system where you crank the strings up really high above the neck, so it can only be played with a slide. With a he used a I think a bottle, a glass slide, and I use a, a metal socket, um, um, but you've, there's, you, you have a lot of, you basically feel your way around, and um, um, you, you don't have to press down very much, and um, you just sort of glide along the strings. I I actually really like, I took to that instrument quite quickly. It was more the singing and the, the style of music that was more alien to me, more difficult for me to cop to, but how did you
1: make that transition just through dr- diving in and immersing yourself or was it a slow
2: burn? Um, well, I had Dana and Jerome and I had played on and off, um, sort of, uh, informally. Sometimes I'd get a gig in my name and I often had Jerome. Um, I met Jerome around the same time I met Dana. Um, th- um, um, through friends, and um, he started doing some gigs uh, for me, just backing me up. Um, we it turned out we had a mutual friend in New Orleans who he had known in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, and played with in the in the probably in the seventies or early eighties. Um, anyway, um, so some one time I didn't have a bass player I could find, and so I asked Dana if he could fill in, because I knew he used electronic pedals and his, played his sax through an amplifier. And I, I had a feeling he had an, an octave pedal which would which would lower the pitch of the instrument, the whole octave, um, and he, do, he did. And um, so he basically just plugged that in and played bass by playing the saxophone. Um, so that was our, that was our first ventures. That was when I was still playing just guitar mostly. Um, before we started doing the morphine thing. For a couple of years we did that on and off. And then I knew that I wanted to play with these guys. Um, and so when the opportunity came to, to go do this tribute concert, I just said, yeah, sure. Um, um, I mean, I listened to rock music. I uh, came up on rock music, but I, I never really was... I kind of dropped out of of contemporary music in the 90s, so I missed most of... What a lot of people my age th- think of as like their seminal, you know, rock um, music years or whatever. I, I didn't, wasn't paying attention, and I missed grunge. Uh, it took me a few years to catch up. Um, um, but um, you know, I mean, uh, just playing a lot of the stuff that that the way Mark was writing for Morphine was very re- sort of um, reductive, like he his whole philosophy was to um, take away ex- anything he thought of extraneous. Originally, he wanted to just have a one string bass. And I think much of the first album, he did just use one string. Um, but there were a couple of reasons that two strings is more advantageous. For one thing, he could do a power chord with um, two strings, or if he accidentally, God forbid, broke a string.
1: He got a backup.
2: <laughs> be really bad with no, you know. But um, then just the sax and the drums and what they called implied guitar. There's no guitar. There's a little bit of guitar on Morphine Records. You can hear it like just a little bit in the background mm-hmm. in some songs. But it's very subtle. And, and the way Dana plays um, and the way Mark played, you really got the feeling that there were guitars in there. And, and you know, it's sort of a cheater situation because the way Mark played the bass, he took the two low strings off And he tuned the two, usually tuned the the two remaining strings to a fifth, like a power chord. And um, really just a little bit below guitar pitch, the lowest guitar pitch. Okay. But with bass strings on there and a big long neck and bass pickups and through a bass amp, it still had that fat bass sound. So there's implied bass in a way as, as, as well as implied guitar. He's kind of right in the middle in the baritone situation. What was the question? <laughs> that no, you hit it. Yeah. yeah,
1: you totally hit it. Yeah, that's perfect. Just kind of how you immersed yourself into it all. So yeah. that's perfect.
2: Yeah. And when we um, from when we first started jamming together, we felt a, I think Dana and I especially felt a, a real connection musically. Um, so we had that before we started tackling the morphine um, stuff.
0: And you had the you know you were fortunate enough to play with uh like you said Jesse um but also I'm sorry you, you said the uh you know were able to play with Jerome and with Billy Connolly before he passed and so you Connelly, sort of yeah. uh got to you know kind of really immerse yourself in the morphine world what was that transition like when you went from paying tribute to Mark Sandman and the work that that band created and that those guys created together to turning Vapors of Morphine into your own thing where you were, you know, called on to, I'm assuming, write your own lyrics and and help in the song creation process.
2: Well, we were doing some of that from the get go. Um, um, we had, I had learned a bunch of the morphine tunes for this tribute show. And once that was done, um, you know, we didn't, we also played a bunch of other stuff that we were learning on our own stuff. Some of the just blues tunes, traditional blues tunes played in a strange way or, you um, I wrote a couple tunes for our first CD, which was called Ever-Expanding Elastic Waistband before we were called Vapors of Morphine. That came out in like 2009 or 2010, I guess. Um, it was right at the very beginning. Um, um, so we never were just solely doing morphine covers. We would, That would be like, a lot of times if you go on tour in Europe or South America, we would do almost all morphine covers and just a few other things um, because it was sort of what we felt was expected Um, and it's more in recent years that we've split it up um, um, first more equally. And then nowadays we sometimes do shows where we don't do any more free material at all, depending on the length of the show. Um, um,
0: So you were always kind of walking that line between paying homage and expanding
2: the sound and the group. Right. Um, the idea being that um, um, the concept behind Morphine was a progressive one, mm-hmm. um, and they certainly, if you've ever listened to their the last album, which was released after Mark died, the night um, certainly were growing musically and changing and would not have ceased doing that if they continued on, if Mark had survived. Um, The other thing is, a lot of the music that we perform, um, It's none of us are as prolific of songwriters as Mark Sandman was by a long shot. Um, um, But what we do is reinterpret tunes that are sort of roots and branches from the roots of morphine. Um, Morphine is typically thought of as like sort of jazz rock but um there's a fair amount of blues in there as well um and if you look at uh, mark's what he did before morphine was a band called treater right with also with billy conway and um uh, playing a a standing cocktail kit like a one drum deal and um jimmy Fitting on harmonica dave champagne on slide guitar um and um mark playing um, what he called low guitar, which was just a guitar through an octave pedal playing bass lines. So sort of one step away from what he later did with the bass and sort of basically what Dana sometimes does um, with us. But um, Dana had, since Morphine, had invented his whole... Electric sax thing. He didn't do that in Morphine. They did some post-production stuff on a couple songs, which implies that But he never played electric saxophone on stage with Morphine Um, He's done that. Um, He's really created an uh, astounding um, new sound Um, There are some other people who have done similar things, but nothing quite like him with the baritone with his particular tone is very recognizable and guitar-like in a way anyway the way he plays um, but his array of sounds and with the pedals he uses is, is, is has has changed quite a bit since morphine so we wanted to create a vehicle for that so a lot of times when we're doing the morphine stuff he'll he will play electric sax instead of just acoustic sax and the way he does electric sax is he has a his old 30s cons baritone saxophone with with um is, is a microphone on the mouthpiece just when he wants to play normal sax but he's got a little pickup in the mouthpiece i'm sorry i i mean the the bell has a microphone on it mm. and um the mouthpiece has a little um transducer microphone in it that goes to a preamp and to a whole effects pedal delay, um, array and to a fender amp um so the sound you know we've pro- we've we've progressed you know we've changed the sound um, of the morphine tunes to some extent. Sometimes we'll play it more traditional, like when we did it a few years ago, we did it um, f- to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the release of the album Cure for Pain, which was their most popular album. We did a whole show, a couple of shows, um, of the, uh, playing the anthem all the way through, and so we that for that we tried to more accurately uh, uh, imitate what what the album sounded like. And what the band sounded like so um um and finally um so what we do is go into the roots that that sandman things for sandman was into and the band was into was was besides jazz um there's blues like delta blues and there's and rhythm and blues and then there's um african music that the band treated right that, that billy and, and mark were in was a was a basically a blues band um and african music that um Salman was in was like moroccan stuff but um we've done a bunch of stuff which is more usually west african although lately we've gotten into some um um ethiopian music um, and w- without any attempt to be um um really faithful to the to the music um we were very you know with 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 jerome and now with tom Airy um, we've had incredibly well-versed drummers um, uh, in terms of different styles of music um, they both can play rock and jazz and blues but also they're schooled in african different african musics and deep different beats from around the world whether it's cuba or or whatever um so that's been really benefit, helpful for us um, dan and i are sort of more just like listening to the records and pulling what we can, the melodies and everything. So we take, we just take instead of since we you know we're not really pro- prolific writers, we'll take a tune by Ali Farka from Africa, from Mali, or uh, Skip James from Mississippi, and do our own spin on it. And since it's essentially uh, baritone sax, drums, and either guitar or bass or electric bazooki, it's it's going to sound strange whatever we do
1: in the best possible
0: way. And it's so interesting because at first blush, I feel like having listened to your solo albums and the other records you've done that at first listen, you think, I don't know how this connects with the sound of morphine. And yet when you hear it all together, it makes complete sense. It's just a bunch of, you know, well-versed musicians having a conversation over a bunch of different styles and genres that everyone is familiar with enough to, can take and see where you guys can go with it
2: yeah i mean my um you know most of the like so what i did the band i had in new orleans the delta billy boys was uh essentially kind of a rockabilly thing um i mean i was playing uh finger style and slide guitar blues but with a upright bass electric guitar and drums and so it came out with, with sort of a peppy rockabilly feel to it um so kind of reinventing that. Um, um, and then and but there was a lot of a lot of the stuff. We did a lot of blues, but we also did a lot of I wrote a lot of kind of humorous songs, novelty songs. And then I've I, now I have the Busted Jug band on the side, which is a, a, a total novelty act. Um I've got a um but I think the closest thing what, what we really tapped into was you know sort of the darker Delta and Hill Country Blues stuff like Fred McDowell and R. L. Burnside that I was into. Um, or even muddy waters um, and um, in those sort of darker keys and, and the, and the de- low D de- tuning or whatever. And um, that was a place that it seemed like, um, I mean, I was, the where my head was at after moving here, after like Katrina and everything, I was in a pretty dark place anyway. So yes. we were sort of able to find this kind of meeting ground right there. So it is sometimes a little awkward, Um I don't. Um, I, I I don't feel comfortable so much with the seriousness of 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 the of, of morphine in a way. Like I do some. Like I really enjoy playing the music, but um, there's some humor in it. There's some tunes that are, are quite funny in a really dry way, and I I choose to think that certain tunes sort of half tongue-in-cheek um, because there's a fair amount of posing and sort of very cool thing about Sandman, which I can't pull off even if I tried to. So um, um, that's always a little funny. And, and, and it's always a little funny when you have, you're have you taking on a role where um, audience members have a sometimes have a deeper connection to the music than, than I do. So it's, right. it's strange.
0: What's the... What's your favorite of the Sandman kind of humorous ones? Is it Top Floor, Bottom Buzzer?
2: No, that's uh, not <laughs> actually one of my favorite tunes. That, um, um, although that's a good one. Um, no, Thursday, um, I mean, it's pretty Thursday's amusing in some great. ways. That's, yeah. that's very uncharacteristic in, in that it's a, an actual story. It's um, mm-hmm. a narrative. Um, it's, I, I would guess that well, that was probably written early. Um um, as far as humor, uh, Pulled Over the Car, which is an obscurity this, that we covered on our first record. Um, I think it's on B-Sides and Otherwise or something, but um, mm. it's just the repeating thing. It's this bass riff, and <clears throat> kind of a funky riff. And it's like I pulled. I, I was driving my car, I was driving my car, I was getting kind of tired, so I pulled over the car, I walked around. got out of the car, walked around the car, got a little air. I felt much better. I got back in the car, <laughs> driving the car. I got a little tired and it kept on keeps on going over and over. <laughs> I, I love that song um, every night. And then 11 o'clock is one that mm-hmm. it's the whole song is every night about 11 o'clock I go out every night about every night. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And it's that's- it's great because it is essentially um, it's it's quintessentially Sandman. It, it he he if he could have written a song with just one word, he probably would have. Um, um, you know, to see what he could get away with. You know, basically, and he came pretty close. On
0: um, every night, as a song, musically, has got so much space for you to just go out and kind of you know sort of some sort of freeform fusion thing where it's just got that, you know, hum going at the on the bottom end and then just so much other stuff is happening around the rest of the song.
2: 11 o'clock you're talking about? Yeah,
0: yeah, 11 o'clock.
2: Yes, I mean, and the thing is, a lot of those tunes, and the same with the car, uh, some of the tunes, you can really interpret them since they're just basically one, one chord. You change the beat a little bit. You change the riff a little bit. You make it funkier. You, you make it harder. You make it slower. You make or you make it quieter. It's um, and those are the things that I get off on. I don't really care about writing songs so much. I mean, sometimes it's fun to write a song if you get a good idea for one, but to me, that's usually a funny song. You know, right. um, <laughs> um, I want to I, I want to get people moving if I can. Um, get yeah, put smiles on people's faces. You know, I don't want to make people cry. So <laughs> fair. <laughs>
1: And how do you how is the fans response to some of those favorite songs? Is there an interpretation that they love the most? Is there one where they're like, oh, my gosh, this is even better than the original.
2: Uh, Sometimes we get that. Yeah. And we also do have fans who were introduced to Morphine through us. So that's cool. I usually, especially when we go abroad, We just get people who are just floored that they get to hear the music live played by some of the people who, yeah. Um, you know, there's Morphine went had two different regular drummers and a couple other people who who guested on records and stuff playing drums. Um, and um, so the only through line was Dana, um, to to us, and there's. To me, that's um, he's. Um, I don't use this word. Uh, he's unique. He is. His playing is unique. There's nobody that sounds like him. So um, um, I've heard people try to do uh, morphine tunes, and it's it's tricky. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, the fluidity he gets on a, on a baritone is unusual. Most people you hear baritones, even really good baritone players, they tend to go for the honk. And he has a real flow to his playing, which is quite unusual, uh, quite distinctive.
0: The new album by Vapors of Morphine is available right now. To get your copy, to find out when they're playing near you, check out their website, vaporsofmorphine.com.
1: You can check us out on all the various socials. Be sure to visit our website at rock'n'rollgradschool.com. And don't forget to leave us a review.
0: Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hedquest. Our reluctant producers are John Sauvey and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together. To
2: the